Blog Talk Radio. This is the Body of Christ Church, inviting you to our virtual living room, where we discuss today's issues and how those issues relate to the Holy Scriptures. So sit back, relax, and engage in conversation with us. Good afternoon, brothers and sisters. The Most High, in the name of Christ, bless you. I am Josiah, and welcome to our virtual living room, where we examine recent events and other topics as they pertain to the Holy Scriptures. As usual, we give all praises to the Most High in Christ, and we give thanks for God's generous mercy, grace, and forgiveness. And uh, this week, brothers and sisters, we are going to continue uh, with another program concerning the Holy Feast Days. And this week uh, we're going to we're going to discuss the Feast of Tabernacles. And joining me in the virtual living room to discuss the Feast of Tabernacles, we have first off our brother Kazakia. Hey, shalom, brothers. All time in the name of Christ bless all. Definitely uh, happy to be back on the panel to discuss today's topic, and happy uh, more blowing of the trumpets. And secondly, we have our brother Yuanathan. Yes. Uh... Good afternoon. Um, giving our praise to the Heavenly Father and the Son Christ. And finally, we also have our brother Kabar in the virtual living room. Thanks. Shalom. All praises to the Most High Christ. I'm glad to be with you listening. All right. I'd like to mention to everyone who is listening in that we do have chat available today. And uh, again, the topic is the Feast of Tabernacles. And what we try to do in these type programs is we try to uh, bring out all the various aspects of the holy days, uh, coming from the very basic and fundamental aspects of it, all the way up to what we will probably call sophisticated or the deeper aspects of the holy days. So, uh, brothers, something is very, very basic that occurred to me that I don't know that we actually have spoke about since maybe January or something like that. But exactly why is this a holy day? What does it mean for a day to be a holy day? Why would you call it a holy day? Why would one day be called a holy day and another one not be called a holy day? Well, well the answer is oh, short. Go ahead, go ahead. The answer, um, quick and short, is um, the reason we say it's a holy day is because it's in the scriptures and the Heavenly Father appointed these days. And, and that's it, as a, as a servant of, in a, of Christ, and one who fears the Heavenly Father, we're just actually just applying what the Word um, states and goes by what the Heavenly Father appointed as High Holy Day. <clears throat> okay. Any other explanations or anything to add to that, what John's brought out? No, that's that's pretty much to the point right there as far as I'm concerned. Okay. And so this, it, it, this so now we're seeing this day is holy. There are other things that are deemed to be holy. Why would anything be called holy? You know, uh, why would, you know, there are things like a holy vessel, like a spoon or a cup or something like that, that was made specifically for the work that was done in the sanctuary and all that. Why are those things holy and the ones that people would use in their houses and so forth, why are those things not holy? Is it simply because the scripture says these are going to be holy? And what does it mean to actually be holy? Well, when you look into the word holy and uh, you get to the, its basic uh, definition, it just simply means true. So in reference to what we're dealing with, uh, uh, for example, the, the, the word holy day, as the, brother, as the brother expounded on it, 
it basically goes into it or is defined as a true day. This is, in other words, this is the true day that the Heavenly Father set aside for us to worship and, and for us to acknowledge him. So now that, that holy day, which is that true day, which we're talking about today, uh, which we're about to go into the Feast of Tabernacles, also, excuse me, also the Passover and, uh, and the memorial blowing of trumpets and, and all those other true days or holy days that you read about in the Bible, they, those are the true days. These are the days that the Lord himself established and sanctified and, and, and set, set aside or separated from the other days for us to honor and worship and recognize him. Okay, so set aside, separated, true day. So holy convocation, another uh, a, a meeting that was set aside, separated, aside from all the other meetings you have, this one is very special. So that's what this day is. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so another very, very basic concept or aspect of the Feast of Tabernacles is the word tabernacle itself. Kazaki, could you, you know, you've been very good at explaining things about uh, what holy means. Could you help us out with what the word tabernacle means? Yeah, uh, tabernacle as defined by dictionaryreference.com. Uh, there, are, there, are, there are several definitions, but the one that apply most to what we're talking about, uh, this particular definition, uh, the portable sanctuary in use by the Israelites from the time of their wandering in the wilderness after the exodus from Egypt to the building of the temple in Jerusalem by Solomon, uh, which gives reference to Exodus 25, uh, chapters 25 to 27. Also, uh, another applicable definition to what we're talking about, a temporary dwelling or shelter as a tent or hut. Uh, and another one, believe it or not, that's very applicable to what we're talking about, uh, this definition, which reads, the human body as the temporary abode of the soul. Okay. And All right, one so. More, one more. Any place okay. or house of worship, especially one designed for a large congregation. So those four definitions right there will be the ones most applicable to what we're talking about today in dealing with the Feast of Tabernacles. Okay. All right, great. Well, thank you, brother, for providing those definitions. Uh, so we're, we're going to, to uh, you know, that's some of the fundamental aspects. But you know, we're going to talk about what a holy day, what the Feast of Tabernacles actually is. You know, when, what was the origin? When do you observe it? What things must you do and you uh, must not do? And then finally, which is probably the most important and compelling aspect of the Feast of Tabernacles. How does Christ pertain to the Feast of Tabernacles? You know, a lot of people don't understand that Christ has something to do with this, so we're going to talk about that, and that will be, I guess, the perceptually deeper aspect of the Feast of Tabernacles. So, Yvonne, could you uh, uh, expound a little bit on the most basic and elementary aspects of this holy day called the Feast of Tabernacles? Yeah, uh Basically, uh, the most elementary from a given by the Heavenly Father since that he gave us um, this day in the wilderness to Moses to command to give to the children of Israel as we were um, leaving. The Heavenly Father took us by a mighty hand out of the land of Egypt. And you can go to Leviticus, the 23rd chapter, and it actually states um, the, the different um, ordinances that the Heavenly Father gave, gave us. And... Um, 
in Leviticus, the 23rd chapter is where it's at. If I can get there. I'm having problems finding it. Here we are. Okay, Leviticus chapter 23. And you can start at, uh, let's see, what verse? 33 maybe. And it says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, The fifteenth day of the seventh month shall be the Feast of Tabernacles for seven days unto the Lord. Okay, so now through here from verse 33 down to the end, that it basically explains what the Feast of Tabernacles was at that time. But um, we, we have understanding that it, it all deals with Christ, and it is Christ. Christ is our, our tabernacle now. And even at this time. But um, if you wanted to read the different ordinances, there's found in those verses um, between verse uh, in Leviticus 23, 33 to verse 44 um, to the end. So, um, okay. So, so Kabar, could you tell us uh, when when is the Feast of Tabernacles? All right. When you go into uh, uh, right back into Leviticus chapter 23, verse 33. It tells you, and the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, and speak unto the children of Israel, saying, The fifteenth day of the seventh month uh, shall, shall be the feast of tabernacles for seven days unto the Lord. And on the first day shall be in holy convocation, you shall do no our work therein. Seven days you shall offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. On the eighth day shall be in holy convocation unto you, and you shall offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. It is a solemn assembly. And you shall do no serve our work therein. So the most I was telling us in verse 33, to speak, to, uh, telling Moses to speak to the people to let them know that we are in the seventh month. When we did the memorial blowing of the trumpets, that will mark the seventh month, okay? That, that is the beginning of that seventh month, which is also a new moon. That is also the high holy day of the memorial blowing of the trumpets. Everybody knows we are in the seventh month because beginning that seventh month, you have a rollout of, uh, several major of the Most High's uh, feasts coming. The first one that you're going to come up after that memorial blowing, after that uh, new moon of the seventh month, the first one you come up to is the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, that's going to happen on the 15th day, okay, of that seventh month. So, basically, the 14th day at evening is the 15th day. That begins the Feast of Tabernacles. And we're going to – the first day of that uh, feast is a holy convocation, like as is, is a Sabbath unto the Most High, where sacrifices, animal sacrifices were made unto the Lord, and the eighth day, okay, the seventh day at dark, the seventh day at evening begins the eighth day. That day would be a, a, also a holy convocation of Sabbath unto the Lord, where another set of sacrifices were to be made unto the Most High. And during, in between that period of time, uh, you jump down uh, to verse 40, and ye shall take you of the first day the balls of lily trees and the branches of palm trees and the uh, balls of thick trees and the willow of the brook, and you shall rejoice before the Lord to God seven days, and you shall keep it a feast unto the, unto the Lord seven days in a year. It shall be a statue forever unto your generation. You shall celebrate it in the seventh month. Verse 42 of that same chapter, Leviticus 23, it says, and you shall dwell in booths seven days. All that are Israelites born shall dwell in booths. So the beginning of this tabernacle, the first day of evening was a Sabbath day, and our people, of course, was going to be dwelling in booths. Now, understand the entire time that we came out of Egypt until we entered into the promised land where, the, where we came unto houses already built, that entire 40-year period, we dwelt in booths. 
temporary dwellings. And we moved as the Mosai directed us according to the fire in the cloud. And, and that's how we journeyed throughout the wilderness, living in those temporary dwellings. Okay. But uh, more specifically, though, what I'm trying to find out is this year, uh, when, when is the Feast of Tabernacles? Oh, okay. We said when is it? So establish that truth. Of course. It's yeah, I should have been more specific. Hey, uh, now, well, if we have to start there because that's when it tells you uh, in, in, uh, in the scriptures, when exactly uh, the feast is. But when you go, according to this calendar, uh, the Gregorian calendar, and in these days and months that we have, according to that calendar, it will fall um, October the 2nd at dark. So basically, uh, October of this year, uh, Friday, October 2nd, when the you know, sun sets at dark, that will be the first day, the beginning of the uh, Feast of Tabernacles. Okay. Now, I know that, you know, there may be some people that uh, will uh, listen to this program that have listened to the previous two programs on the Holy Days in the the seventh month, and so they already understand why it is that the Scriptures are saying the seventh month, but now here it is, you're talking about October, which is the tenth month on the calendar, and it's in that month. But for for those people who have not heard that, would you go ahead and explain – why it is that uh, it's the tenth month, and now the scriptures saying the seventh month, but we're doing it in the tenth month. Yeah, um, just to sort of um, to reconcile a discrepancy, uh, you have to understand that um, two things. Number one, the Gregorian calendar, or the calendar that we follow in America, is a solar calendar. It's based on the cycles of the sun and the, and the uh, Earth rotations around it. The Hebrew calendar is a lunar calendar, and it's based on the phases of the moon as it traveled throughout its phases in that 30-year period, going when it waxed and wanes from a full moon to a, a new moon. And also you have to understand our year, the Hebrew year, begins according to the Gregorian cal- calendar sometime in March. So that's why even though the calendar that we go to according in America starts in January, the Hebrew calendar actually starts in March, April, sometime in the springtime. So that's why you have that three-month discrepancy. So whereas it would be the seventh month according to the Hebrew calendar, it would be the tenth month according to the Gregorian calendar. And that's how you can understand those two relationships. Okay. All right. Very good. Well, uh, Kazakia, is, is what, what other things, what things uh, must you do and not do uh, on the Feast of Tabernacles? And I, I, I think that some of those things have already been brought out in the Scriptures. But if you would just kind of point those out for us, so that you know, to just reinforce uh, those those points. Basically, uh, as the brothers have already stated, uh, the, what we're dealing with the Feast of Tabernacles, it, it, it is a is a seven day feast first and foremost, in which the uh, in which there are Sabbaths involved, uh, first day and the last day. Uh, when we say Sabbath involved, in other words, it's 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 a day of rest, in which no work is to be done therein. During those uh, during those Sabbath days, uh, and I'll read it specifically now. Leviticus chapter twenty-three, starting at verse thirty-six. Uh, well, sorry, at verse thirty-four. It says, "Speak of the cho- unto the children of Israel, saying, The fifteenth day of this seventh month shall be the feast of tabernacles, for seven days unto the Lord. On the they shall, excuse me, on the first day shall shall be an holy convocation, which is a holy gathering. Ye shall do no servile work therein." Verse thirty-six. 
Seven days ye shall offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. On the eighth day shall be an holy convocation unto you, a holy gathering, and ye shall offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. It is a solemn assembly, holy gathering, and ye shall do no sort of all work therein. Uh, so basically, during during that time period, we were we those those appointed days during that time period were Sabbath days in which there was to be uh, uh, no work. Uh, you offer or you make your sacrifices according to the Lord as the Lord instructed us, uh, and all the other rules and regulations which apply to the Sabbath, which is uh, no buying, no selling, uh, no servile work. And it is a day of feasting, and you give honor and joy and praise to the Heavenly Father for His blessings. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just one of those things in which, you know, when the, when the Most High says, observe the Feast of Tabernacles, as it reads in Deuteronomy chapter 16, verse 13, I'm going to read it just right quick. Uh, it is a solemn assembly, it's, which that solemn means it's a grave or a serious gathering, but uh, the Most High points out something to us uh, um, in that, in Deuteronomy chapter 16, in verse 13, starting at verse 13, Thou shalt observe the Feast of Tabernacles seven days after thou hast gathered in thy corn and thy wine. Verse 14, Thou shalt rejoice in thy feast, thou and thy son and thy daughter and thy manservant and thy maidservant and the Levite, the stranger and the fatherless and the widow that are within thy gates. Seven days shalt thou keep a solemn feast unto the Lord thy God in the place which the Lord thy God shall choose. Because the Lord thy God shall bless thee in all thine increase and in all the works of thine hands, therefore thou shalt surely rejoice. So basically, what the point of it all is, we're, during this time period, we're supposed to be happy. We're supposed to be ju jubilant. We're supposed to be uh, extremely enthusiastic about these feasts. Not not just this feast in particular, but all the feasts. Because yes, we're we're giving to the Most High, but we're honor we're honoring. The Most High for all that He has done for us, for all the blessings and all the mercy that He has had upon our people back then during that time period that we're reading about, as well as right now. So we're supposed to be happy and ready to celebrate these feasts and uh, and, and and these high holy days of the Heavenly Father. That's that's a real good scripture that you uh, brought out in Deuteronomy 16, and there's something really interesting in that verse 15 there. It said, reads, seven days shall I keep a solemn feast unto the Lord thy God. What's it, why would it be a solemn feast? What does it mean to say a, a solemn feast? Uh, because solemn is basically a word that, 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 that means or alludes to something that is very serious or very grave. So when, when one is offering sacrifices, especially back then, offering sacrifice to the Heavenly Father, those sacrifices had to be perfect. You can't just come up with anything just to sacrifice to give to the Lord. It had to be perfect. It had to be the way the Most High instructed it, or there were going to be consequences. So that solemn feast that we're reading about, it, that's a grave feast or a grave sacrifice that we're sending up. And the fact that it is serious, it is supposed to be the way that the Most High instructed it. It cannot be without blemish. It cannot be without spot. It can't. It can't have uh, anything broken about it. It had to be perfect, and therein is the solemnity of it. What you're offering to the Lord, especially back then during those time periods when the animal sacrifices were uh, offered and accepted, that sacrifice had to be perfect. You know, you're bringing out the word uh, solemn, which you said it means serious. 
serious feasting, you know, <laughs> you know, that seems like a contradiction in terms because I think a lot of people, you know, they look at feasting as not a real serious thing. You know, it's it's more like a party. You let your hair hang down, whatever, you know, you open up and you do your thing. Right. But now you're bringing out that there is some seriousness behind this feasting, behind all this uh, rejoicing. Uh, you wanted to uh, another another uh, point that uh, Kazaki just spoke on was uh, the sacrifices. You know, uh, it seems like on all the feast days there are some sacrifices. So, you know, it would uh, you would think that uh, when it comes down to the Feast of Tabernacles, there will be sacrifices also. Are, are there any sacrifices associated with the Feast of Tabernacles? Yes, there were. Um, as a matter of fact, he tells you that in verse 37, um, Leviticus 23 and 37, um, these are the feasts of the Lord, which shall ye, which ye shall proclaim to be holy convocation to offer, an offering made by fire unto the Lord, a burnt offering and a meat offering, a sacrifice, and drink offerings, everything upon his day. Um, to tell you the specifics, I got to get that verse, but um, there were uh, sacrifices given on 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 this day particular. Um, so yeah. Also, Did anybody know where those specifics are on those sacrifices? Right. Just to add on to that, what the brother started off with in Numbers, the 29th chapter, starting at verse 12, all the way to the end of that chapter, basically deals with the uh, the sacrifice and what all what, uh, what all were sacrificed. I'm not going to read it all, for, of course, for the time constraint that we have, but I'm going to read just a little bit, starting in verse 12. And on the this is Numbers chapter 29, starting at verse 12. And on the 15th day of the seventh month, ye shall have an holy convocation. That's holy gathering. Ye shall do no servile work, and ye shall keep a feast unto the Lord seven days. And ye shall offer a burnt offering, a sacrifice made by fire of a sweet savor unto the Lord, thirteen young bullocks, two rams, and fourteen lambs of the first year, and they shall be without blemish. And their meat offering shall be of flour mingled with oil, three-tenth deals unto every bullock of the thirteen bullocks, two-tenth deals to each ram of the two rams, and a, sev- and a several-tenth deal to each lamb of the fourteen lambs, and one kid of the goats for a sin offering, Besides the continual burnt offering, his meat offering, and his drink offering. So basically, from Numbers, starting of uh, chapter 29, starting at verse 12, all the way down to verse 16, was what was supposed to be offered uh, on the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, mind you, in verse 12, it starts off on the 15th day. So as as one continues to read through this chapter, uh, on the second day of that week-long feast, there was another sacrifice that had to be offered. And on the third day, so forth and so on, there were sacrifices that had to be offered. But Numbers, the 29th chapter, gives specific and explicit detail as to what was supposed to be offered each day of this week-long feast that we're talking about, the Feast of Tabernacles. Okay, so uh, are we still doing that? You know, does anybody do that now? No, not 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 anymore. Okay, uh, Kapar, are, are there any more uh, limits to what you can do on the um, Feast of Tabernacles, or things that you must do 
on the Feast of Tabernacles that we hadn't covered so far? Well, yeah, just the aspect going into how it is a, you know, a solemn feast day of the Lord and a holy convocation. And like it says, um, I'll, I'll go into uh, verse 35 and 36. Leviticus chapter 23, verse 35, it says, On the first day shall be um, day shall be a holy convocation. Ye shall do no servile work therein. And verse 36, Seven days shall ye offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. On the eighth day shall have a holy convocation unto you. And ye shall offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. It is a solemn assembly. Ye, once again, it says, And ye shall do no servile work therein. Meaning, once you have the basic template of what a Sabbath day is, and, and you know you cease from your own labors and you rest, we have that understanding of what a Sabbath day is. Now, what the Most High is doing is taking that same concept and idea and applying it all across the board to his specific, specific uh, holy days, but he's only making it all, an, a slight alteration in, it, in how you go about it. Basically, yes, you're not going to be doing any servile work therein, you're not going to be, and I'll explain what that means, you're not going to be buying and selling and things like that, um, your regular workday week. The only type of activity, uh, whether it be physical or otherwise, that you were going to be doing on this particular feast day was as it related to the preparation and the carrying out of the specific feast, the Feast of Tabernacles. So, of course, on the regular Sabbath, you wouldn't be doing any cooking, but on this particular Sabbath, you would be, you would be doing cooking and as it related to making sacrifices, animal sacrifices unto the Lord. Also, the necessary preparation and work in order to, to bring that entire event about, that was allowed to be done. So that's why the Most High is making a distinction between the regular work week, which is the servile work, and the activities as it related to that high holy day. And you can only engage in the activities as it related to that high holy day, not your own Work a day week that you would normally go about. So the most I was making that distinction in there. So then, that means on October second that uh, you are not going to be working a job. You, you shouldn't be working a job in any place. Well, according to the, the scriptures, lay out the template, okay, if, if, uh, and how we're supposed to go about that. Now, of course, we are our people, like the most I already said, Deuteronomy uh, twenty-eight you know, scattered to the four corners of the earth under uh, subjection and oppressive conditions. And a lot of times we find ourselves in, the, in in not the ideal situation, especially as it relates to observing these high holy days. But as we return to the Lord through repentance and and keep our mind and, and, and thoughts focused on that, like the scripture says, all things are possible to him who believes. And, you know, it's the most high who's going to move the hearts of those who we are, who we find ourselves subjected under, and perchance, you know, we're able to either get those days or, or or be able to observe it as closely to as it is written in the scripture as possible. Some of us, you know, a lot of us actually find ourselves in conditions, according to the laws of this land, where it's okay, freedom of religion, where we can actually exercise and be able to get those days off. Others are, are find themselves in more threatening conditions where if you try to do that you actually lose your job. So it's a matter of continuing to focus on that, move in that direction, and allowing the Most High to bring that situation about where we're able to keep it as it is written. 
you know, another uh, question, and you know, this this may not be one that you brothers are you know would be able to answer for me, but uh, that scripture was brought out. I think it was in, in Deuteronomy that Kazakia read. It said that you're supposed to rejoice before the Lord for seven days. Uh, if say say you've got a bowel depression, you know, and you don't feel like rejoicing, is that a sin to you? Well, um, I don't know. Maybe one. You're just directing that in general. <laughs> yeah, just in general. You know, no, no one in particular. You know, just something for discussion. Well, a lot of times, you know, you look at you look at situations where you know, a person may be depressed or, or upset and things like that, and, and you'll find you have uh, elements in their lives that aren't in sync with the Most High and His commandments. And that's why we find ourselves in every type of uh, negative condition that we find ourselves is because our lives, our thinking, our behavior is not in sync and lying in order with what the Most High has written in the Scriptures. As we begin to move ourselves in that direction, of course the Most High, like the Most High says, uh, He'll be uh, uh, nourishment to thy bone and to thy navel. He's going to rejoice us. All these things that the most high. Joy is a blessing given of the Lord, but that blessing is only mm-hmm. given through repentance. So it, 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 as long as we find ourselves outside of the grace of the most high, we're going to have to deal with depression and all those things. As we repent, we'll see that our lives begin to come to a situation, come to a condition where we understand, number one, what life is truly about, what our focus is not going to be on earthly and carnal things, which alleviates a lot of the anxiety and which, which triggers the depression and everything like that, we'll begin to find ourselves more aligned with the Most High in the Spirit. And that true joy of what life is actually about will begin to flow into our lives. So and through repentance, we can we can get the blessing of joy, which will allow us to also keep these high holidays and feasts in a true spirit. So right. it, it seems like... Go ahead, Kazak. Actually, it was... You wanted oh, to, I'm sorry, John. Uh, <laughs> It was uh, also uh, to, to really answer your question. That's that's why I know we're at this point here. We're setting where the heavenly Father gave us these uh, these ordinances, but that's why it's even more of a importance and how much of a value. How I, I know we're going to bring it out later that Christ came and that gave us that repentance. Because could someone do this stuff in depression? They could, you know. But the thing is, uh, through Christ. And repenting and putting on those fruits of the spirit, Christ will will heal everyone on on their uh, whatever their ill is. You know, He'll show us how to get like the brother was saying that joy, and other fruits mm-hmm. of the spirit like the temperance, the meekness, the patience, all of those things. And and that's the the true key to all um, these high holidays and all holidays is to come back in the light and the example in Christ, and uh, which is going to be brought out at a a, a later time. But like. For, to answer your question, the only the only true healing comes through Christ by His example and applying and doing what He says to do. You know. So it, it, it sounds to me like what what you, what you were indicating here is that you actually could not properly, appropriately, and thoroughly observe or keep the Feast of Tabernacles without Christ. Is that what you suggested? Absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, definitely that is a uh, uh, big, big part of what we want to discuss here today. But I want to make certain before we go into discussing that 
that there are no other uh, fundamental or basic aspects of the Feast of Tabernacles that we have not covered. Is there anything else that we need to cover? Well, oh. just by way of, of review, you know, we, we talked about uh, what the Feast of Tabernacles actually is. Of course, uh, you know, just a, a, you know, as an aside, but as a fairly important aside, this is one of the feast days one of the, uh, that related to the three appointed times that the Most High would, would have his, you know, have the nation of Israel appear all before him in Jerusalem. This is, this is one of those feasts. And you can read that in Deuteronomy chapter 16 and in verse 16, it tells you three times in a year shall all thy males appear before me, uh, appear before the Lord thy God in the place which he shall choose going into, of course, which will later be uh, Palestine, what they call Palestine or Jerusalem today. We were reading this out of the book of Deuteronomy, and we all understand a few centuries later how people will later uh, be established in Jerusalem, and that's where the Most High at the building of the temple that Solomon was commissioned to do. His name will be called there, and that's where we appear uh, those three times in the year. Now, remember that three, those three times in the year that we will appear, it was to come before the Most High, acknowledge him all these appointed seasons and days to make sacrifices unto him, to acknowledge his, his majesty. It says, Three times in a year shall all thy males appear before the Lord thy God in the place which he shall choose, in the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and in the Feast of Weeks, and in the Feast of Tabernacles, and they shall not appear before thy, before the Lord empty. So those are going to not appear before the Lord empty with the sacrifices that was to be made unto the Heavenly Father. So, of course, we're in one of those, we're discussing one of those three appointed seasons where we're supposed to return to Jerusalem. We're not doing that today. And as we begin to understand how these uh, uh, hot holidays are applied under the new covenant, because as we're reading it right here, we're reading it according to as it was established under the old covenant with Moses. Now, as we go into how it's applied under the new covenant through Christ, we understand that we're not, once again, returning those three times a year to Jerusalem, but we are acknowledging those days in the lands where we find ourselves, but now in the true spirit of Christ. Okay. All right. Well, thanks for bringing that out. Anything else that uh, we hadn't covered so far? Any fundamental things? Uh, uh, we we covered the booth part, right? Oh, go ahead. We, we covered the booths, how uh, all the Israelites weren't supposed to dwell in booths or yeah. little small tents, little huts, uh, you know, while uh, to commemorate our sojourn in the wilderness. We covered that, right, in Leviticus okay. chapter 23. And uh, yeah. verse 42 and 43. We did. Okay. Yeah, all praises. All right. Judge, you want to have something? You have something else you want to bring out? Uh, yeah, just one simple um, aspect um, to go with that question of um, depression. Because if you read um, in times past when our forefathers were in their land before the Heavenly Father um, totally destroyed us as a nation, as to we are no people in all nations and scattered about. Our, our forefathers kept these days, okay, and they kept these days. And when you read, the heavenly Father says that, well, you, your sacrifices, he won't, he won't let them, he won't acknowledge them. And they was doing all types of idolatry, witchcraft, uh, murders of all all types. So to answer your question, someone could keep that and 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 do that, but see, that's not how the heavenly Father wants us to follow him, and that's why he sent us his son to show us that example on how to be, how he intended Israel to be, to fear the Heavenly Father in perfection and keep his commandments and, and apply the fruits of the Spirit and come to the come to the Lord. So that's what I just wanted to add to that. Okay. 
right. Well, well brothers, it seems like we, we, with the, the fundamental aspects, uh, we have pretty much covered those. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong, am I, am I right about that? Actually, and I think we so. have covered the uh, covered the little aspects of it all. And, and also, you know, just just to stay real quick, you know, just for the for the benefit of listeners, that the things that you know we just discussed then with some Todd Holy Day, you know, that can be found on the website. You know, to independently on your own, you know, just go through it slowly. If you have questions, you can, you know, the website. The numbers are there to to call. But just to introduce these things to the listeners for those who may not know them, and 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 just set a path so that. You know, further understanding can be going into those that website and numbers will be stated uh, during the show sometime. Okay, a very good point, brother. I'm glad you brought that. I also like to add that we do have chat available, and if there is some question or there's a comment that you want to bring out right now, you can feel free to go into chat and uh, bring out that question or comment, as well as call into the program. And uh, we, we we want to go a little bit deeper into the, the, the meaning of the Feast of Tabernacles. Um, and but before we go uh, deep into it, I want to go to the announcement, uh, which is going to add to what uh, Kabar and I have already stated about uh, getting answers to your questions and so forth. Brothers and sisters. At this time, please accept our invitation to visit us in the virtual living room to discuss today's topic. Comments or questions are eagerly encouraged, whether they agree or disagree with the viewpoints expressed by those involved in the program. To visit us in the virtual living room, please call 646-716-7747. Also, you can visit our website at thevocc.com or you can email us at bodyofchrist@youreach.com. You reach is the letter U followed by the word reach. So that's bodyofchrist@youreach.com or call us at 1877 8711712 This program is broadcast live each Sunday at 2 p.m. Remember to visit us right now in the virtual living room by calling 646-716-7749. Now, back to today's show. Welcome back to the program. Welcome back to the virtual living room. Uh, we are discussing the Feast of Tabernacles, and we have gone over the fundamental aspects of the Feast of Tabernacles, and those are basically spelled out in uh, Leviticus, the 23rd chapter, as well as Deuteronomy, 16th chapter. And I think there's probably a couple of other um, references to the Feast of Tabernacles, uh, one in, uh, I think, the uh, Book of Numbers, I'm not sure exactly which chapter that is, but uh, there's, there's a few references uh, throughout the scriptures to the Feast of Tabernacles. But uh, at this point, brothers, we want to go into uh, the deeper 
uh, I guess, more complex, more sophisticated aspects of the Feast of Tabernacles, and that pertains to Christ. So, uh, you want to, if you would, uh, just kind of tell us, you know, why does Christ make a difference to the Feast of Tabernacles at all? Uh, why does Christ make a difference to the sacrifice, uh, the Feast of uh, Tabernacles, as you say? Right, the way the, the way that it's laid out in Leviticus twenty third chapter and in Deuteronomy numbers and so forth, you know, why is Christ making a difference to that? Uh, why does He make any any difference to that? Um, chief and foremost, uh, the Heavenly Father granted that um, the Messiah, He is the Messiah for the children of Israel to come back, and His whole duty was to nourish and bring the children of Israel back to the Father by repentance now, and um, to show you that. From the beginning, like the scriptures tell you, that the word was with the Heavenly Father, and that was Christ. And he was there um, in the wilderness. He was, He's here now. He's here forever. Like Christ says, he's Alpha and Omega. So um, i just like to read one verse, uh, a, a, script, a passage, rather, 1 Corinthians 10 and 1. It says, Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant, how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. So here in Corinthians here, it's speaking to the brethren that's in Christ. And then it says, all their fathers uh, passed, um, were under the cloud and passed through the sea. So that's the children of Israel. He's writing this letter to the children of Israel. Those are the only nation the Heavenly Father took every single person of that nation out of captivity into the wilderness. And then later on into the land of Canaan, which was given to their father Abraham. Established through Isaac and Jacob and the twelve tribes of Israel, and it says, "I'm just going to read on." It says, "And were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and did all eat the same spiritual meat, and did all drink that same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ." So, it's telling you here through these verses here that Christ was there with us our forefathers, the children of Israel, and he is the one that guided the children of Israel. He was that rock in that wilderness. He was the one, um, when you read further down, it tells you he was the one that was there ministering to the children of Israel, okay, to follow the Lord and bring them up in the nourishment and righteousness of the Heavenly Father. And it's the same Christ that came and what, died later on for the many sins of the children of Israel so that they may repent and come back to follow the Father nowadays. You know, also, I wanted to add to that and why Christ is so integral in all of the, whether we're talking about how holidays, whatever we're dealing with, if you open the Holy Bible, whatever you're dealing with, you're dealing with Christ. You're dealing with the Most High through Christ. And two things are so important. Uh, uh, John chapter 5 and verse 39 tells you, search the scriptures. For in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. So wherever you're going to go in this Bible, ultimately it's going to lead you back to Christ. And that's the only way to get to the Heavenly Father, because Christ already told you, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. So you, you're going to be dealing with Christ. I don't care where you go in this Bible, from Genesis to Revelation. Also in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 7, and the same thing is stated in Psalms 40 and 7. But as it is written in Hebrews 10 and 7, it tells you, then said I, lo, I come in the volume of the book, it is written of me to do thy will, O God. So Christ is already saying and stating to you, listen, this entire book 
is about me and the works that I'm going to do and how ultimately all of that is going to lead unto everything being subjected unto the Father. It's, it's telling you that strictly and to the point in every one of these high holy days is a, is symbolic of a work that Christ is going to do uh, in the earth uh, with the nation of Israel. Okay. Uh, well, because, uh, you know, listen to what John and Kabari brought out, uh, at this point could one listen to that and say, okay, well, I understand now. I understand what Christ has to deal with the feast, of, how Christ pertains to the feast of uh, tabernacles. So now you can close the book off and walk away, and you have full knowledge of what it, what, what it means, uh, Christ, how Christ pertains to the feast of tabernacles, and how things are different now with Christ. Can can you do that, or is there more to it? Is there maybe just a little bit more to it? There's a, there's a little bit more to it because, of course, the brothers they they they, they mentioned it in summation. And I'm about to do the same thing, mission it in summation, okay. the high okay. point of it, but you really got to get into the scriptures and read the scriptures and apply the scriptures. Like Psalms 111 and verse 10, a good understanding have all they that do his commandments. So for us to really understand the importance and the significance that Christ plays in these high holy in everything, period, not just the high holy days, but in everything, period, we have to repent. And follow these commandments through the example of Jesus Christ, and through time and application of the commandments, we will begin to understand the role that Christ played and how important He is. But I'd like to read this scripture right quick, because uh, uh, to kind of to kind of answer that first question, as far as you know, do, do we still keep these things through uh, through how it is, or what part does Christ play? So now in Galatians chapter five, starting at verse two, I'm gonna read from verse two to verse four. It says. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you that if ye be circumcised, meaning if you are keeping the commandments, the sacrifices through Moses, you're following it to the letter of the law through Moses. That's what it means. Christ shall profit you nothing, meaning the sacrifice of Christ for sin and the grace that we receive through repentance, it, it will be of benefit to no man if he's still trying to keep the ordinances through Moses. Verse 3. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to the whole law. If you're keeping the law to the letter of the law, you have to keep all of the law to the letter of the law. Verse 4, Christ is become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, you are fallen from grace. This means if any man or woman that is, tries to keep the commandments to the letter of the law, all the sacrifices, all the ordinances, as it, is, as it is laid out in the Bible through Moses, instead of keeping the commandments, high holy days included, through Jesus Christ, then that man or that woman has lost their grace that is in Christ because they seek to be back in bondage until the letter of the law. Christ came and Christ died so that, not so that we don't have to keep the commandments anymore. That wasn't the purpose of Christ's death. Christ's death was, uh, was so that we could keep the commandments now through the perfection that he showed us through his example. Yeah, but you know that sounds like you don't have to keep the commandments. Yeah. That's what it sounds like. So how do, you, how do we know now that you're still supposed to keep the commandments? All right. So now let's go to uh, chapter, Luke, excuse me, chapter 24. Let's go to Luke chapter 24. I'm going to read it right quick. 24 and verse 44. 
And these are the words of Christ. He says, and he, and he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. So now, the reason why this scripture comes to mind is the fact that a lot of people think, oh yeah, Christ fulfilled the law, we don't have to keep the law anymore. No, that's not what that means. What Christ fulfilled were all the things written in the Psalms, the Proverbs, everything in the Old Testament that prophesied of Christ, he has filled them already, and by that I'm referring to the sacrifice and to his sacrifice and the prophecies of Christ and what he was going to do in the earth, or he will fulfill them when he returns. So now further proof of uh, further edification on that in the fact that we still are responsible for keeping the commandment, Matthew chapter 5 and verse 17, think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. So the point is, Christ is telling you, don't think I'm coming to destroy any of the commandments or anything that was written of me already in the Bible, already in the Old Testament. I'm not coming to destroy any of that. I'm just come to fulfill that which was written of me. But the commandments, we are still responsible for keeping. But now through Christ instead of Moses. Okay. All right. Well, I think that pretty much explains that. Kabar, it sounds like you had a point that you might want to bring out. Um. Well, well, just just in support of the brother, uh, as far as you ask the question about do we have to keep the commandments? Sorry. And the question about do we have to keep the commandments now? Because you know, a lot of times it's sound contradictory. Well, we, it's not based on the law, but we still have to keep the law, so on and so forth. All, all that's talking about is, listen, if you, you're trying to keep the, the works of the law, what the scripture is going into is you're not going to be saved by your righteousness. So and under the old covenant, it was through, okay, if I keep these laws and do, do these ordinances, according to my righteous works, I'll be able to receive salvation. Now, all of us, are, like the scripture says, fall short of the glory of God, meaning being worthy to bear his name and to enter into his kingdom. But now what God is saying is, listen, I'm sending Christ, and through repentance in his name and following his example, you'll be able to attain unto, unto, unto righteousness and receive the kingdom. But it's, it's, it's going to be Christ's righteousness imputed, given unto you, as you follow his example. Now, of course, Christ, remember, never committed a sin, Sin, according to First John three or four, is a transgression of the law. So, in order to follow Christ's example, you would be already keeping the law. Except, in following that example, is through His sacrifice, through His guidance, and through us saying, "Listen, Heavenly Father, this, the way that I'm going to enter into Thy kingdom is through the sacrifice of Your Son and following Your Son. It's not because I'm keeping these laws. The keeping of the law just relates to as you follow and obey in Christ." But it's through Christ's work and, and his example and sacrifice that you're going to enter into the kingdom of heaven. So the keeping of the commandments, that's just a given. That's just a basic work that you're doing uh, in following Christ. The overcoming, the entering the kingdom, that's all based on the sacrifice of Christ, period. Okay, brothers, uh, what, what I, I'd like to bring out, if we, if we hadn't already brought it out, and that is on, on, on the, the, the most basic level that you can possibly conceive, 
how has Christ, you know, what does Christ mean to the Feast of Tabernacles? How has the Feast of Tabernacles changed as it pertains to Christ? Did that change occur when Christ was born? Did that change occur when Christ was baptized? Did that change occur when Christ was crucified? Or were there changes that occurred all through that? Did that change occur when Christ ascended? You know, or are there still changes going on right now? You know, on, on the most basic fundamental level, and then, you know, whenever that change did occur or these changes did occur, what is it about those events that caused or prompted the change? And this is in regard to the way we observe the Feast of Tabernacles. Well, when you go into the book of Hebrews, it actually explains the entire uh, transition. Of course, uh, Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 33, God tells you he's going to make a new covenant and how that covenant is going to be different uh, and, and, uh, and basically upgraded and made better through Christ. Okay, that tells you that a change is coming. When you go into Hebrews, especially uh, chapters 8, 9, and 10, it begins to tell you that entire process about why the sacrifices are, um, are no longer able to save us, why Christ came into his ministry, and how a change in the, in the priesthood was going to be happening, and how that was going to be applied, and about his sacrifice, and how all of that was going to save us. Of course, we can't go through a uh, finite detail of it right now, but those verses, those chapters, give you the basic framework to understand how that, that change and that shift has happened. But the primary thing we have to understand as it relates to tabernacles is that all of those things that we read about surrounding the, the Feast of Tabernacles, remember, it started after we the exodus out of Egypt. We, when most operators at the water and the man and the cloud of fire, do, you know, going throughout the wilderness, dwelling in tabernacles, every one of those things, every one of those elements are uh, symbolic of something that Christ is going to be doing. For example, when we left out of Egypt, of course, that was a, uh, 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 the house of bondage where, they, where our people served in bondage and slavery, and the Mosai uh, uh, freed us from that. Now, when we talk about, uh, according to the Old Covenant, how that relates is when you go into Galatians 4.3, it tells you how Christ is going to free us from the bondage of the world, which is what Egypt symbolizes, which is what, this, uh, or what the societies we live in symbolize. So just like the Mosai freed us out of Egypt, Christ is freeing us from the world. Just like the, uh, Egypt represented bondage, the world represents bondage under sin. And just like how the Mosai was able to deliver us from that through Christ, because it was Christ who was following us, Christ who was in the cloud, all of that aspect, it was Christ who was guiding us. Uh, he was the angel that was, was over and guiding us. It's the same way now. The most Christ, through Christ, you're going to be free from the world. Through Christ, you're going to be guided into righteousness. All of these elements carry over. And uh, uh, it, it relates to each other when you're dealing with the, the new covenant and how Christ applies. When you're dealing with the manna, another example, of course, that's the bread that came down from heaven as the nation of Israel was traveling and so journeying through the wilderness for those 40 years. That's what they ate and fed them. Now, when you uh, under the new covenant, under Christ, you understand that that bread, that manna or that bread are talking about Christ, which is actually the bread of life. The higher the deeper understanding comes in when you realize that those things in, under the old, old covenant alluded to were symbolic of something that's going to happen on a greater scale and level under the new covenant. So now Christ is he's not that physical bread that came out of heaven because Christ tells you that our forefathers ate that physical bread and died, but that, uh, that spiritual bread, that bread of life that Christ is going to give us, which is his word, 
but it's going to allow us to actually attain unto eternal life and not have to suffer that that death as far as us attaining uh, eternal life and into the kingdom. So, yes, that physical bread then, spiritual bread now. When you talk about the water that flows out of a rock that our forefathers drank of, yes, they was able to satisfy their physical bodies. Now, under the new covenant, Christ is that new, that living water, which is able to give us that spirit, that understanding unto eternal life. So all of these things are symbolic of something that Christ is actually going to be doing. And now when you begin to understand the transition into the new covenant, you realize, wow, all of those things, all of those elements that were mentioned in the, in the old covenant, uh, as far as how they related to the high holy days and feasts, those were symbolic of something that Christ works, that Christ is going to be doing on a greater and grander level to bring us to a higher spiritual understanding. So now the, the, the event that prompted these changes then was Christ's birth. Is that right? That no, was the beginning. Yeah. You said that was the beginning? Of his ministry, which began to explain all of these things plainly to us. Okay, so now, you know, if you, the, the, the way that we go about observing the Feast of Tabernacles, we don't do it as it's described in uh, Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy and so forth. We don't do it that way. So which event in the course of Christ's existence changed that? Was it one event or were there multiple events that changed it? And and and, and what about those events was, was you know, what's the change? You know, what happened? When you read it. You know what, Deuteronomy, where's that in Deuteronomy when it says, uh, that the, the prophecy when Christ is going to come and how we're going to have to all hearken unto him. Deuteronomy the 18th chapter. And, and, and the, the reason why I'm asking it this way, you know, because, you know, there's there's some, there's somebody out there right now that, you know, they, they opened this book up today and maybe they read in the New Testament quite a bit. Maybe they read in Hebrews 9, 10, 11 chapter and so forth, right? But and now this whole thing about the Feast of Tabernacles and saying you've got to keep the Feast of Tabernacles, you've got to keep the law, this may be somewhat of a new concept. So tie that in as to how, you know, now this law that you've introduced them to, you know, keeping this law of the Feast of Tabernacles, you, you're not doing these sacrifices. Now this appearance that you make, all males had to make three times a year, you're not doing that. Why is that? You know, what what is it about Christ? What is it about his life? What is it about things that took place with him that made that change? Deuteronomy chapter 18 and verse 13. Okay. 18 and verse 15. This is the Heavenly Father. Because when did that change? It began, you know, when the, with Christ's birth and his ministry. That's when the, the new covenant was actually established, and that's when the change actually occurred. But it was already prophesied that these things were going to happen. When the Most High told you, Deuteronomy 18 and 15, the Lord, the Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from, uh, from the midst of thee, of thy brethren, like unto me, unto him shall ye hearken. This is this is Moses telling the people what the Most High is going to do in the future. This whole thing that he's about to relate to them is talking about Christ. Sixteen, according to all that thou desirest of the Lord in Horeb in the in the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, neither let me see this great fire any more, that I die not. So Israel was asking for an intercessor. It was once Moses, it will then be Christ, the final and greatest intercessor. Verse 17, and the, Mo and, and the Lord said unto me, they have well spoken that which they have spoken. I will rise up un unto a 
excuse me, I will, I will rise them up a prophet from among their brethren, like unto thee, Christ is, I mean, most high fans to Moses, he's going to be like unto you. You're going to see some similarities between them. It says, and will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. Okay, Christ already told you numerous times, this is not my doctrine, this is not my word, this is not my will, not my will, but thine, Father. Everything that Christ did was the direct instructions of the Heavenly Father to give to the nation of Israel. No, no part of it was changed, altered, or interjected his own thing. Everything was from the Heavenly Father through Christ direct, delivered directly to the nation of Israel. Okay? Verse 19. It shall come to pass that whosoever will not hearken unto my words which he shall speak in my name, I will require it of him. Meaning, if they disobey, then they're going to bring upon themselves destruction. So God is telling you himself that he's going to this prophet is going to be like Moses. Just like Moses led the people out of land, led the people unto salvation, all of these things Christ is going to be doing. Moses was symbolic in allusion to something greater himself, which is going into Christ. That's why every aspect, and no matter where you turn in this Bible, it's dealing with Christ. So now Christ came and he establishes the new covenant, taught it, and then it went into effect when he actually gave himself as a sacrifice. That solidified the new covenant. Christ he gave himself as a sacrifice. What, what do you mean he gave himself as a sacrifice? We're talking about when Christ was crucified, and he tells us that that, that that death that he suffered on the cross was going into the sacrifice that would happen for the nation of Israel in order to atone for their sins, and that's why we get that relationship, that understanding of what the feast of, of, so, of, of the, the Day of Atonement is actually going into. That's all so you going see. So you're saying that's the event that uh, started the new government when he was crucified. No, no, no. Exactly. What I'm saying is the event that started it was the birth of Christ. He grew up, of course, and started his ministry. When he's when he, when he was okay. Born, so when Christ was born, the new covenant started. New covenant started when Christ was born. Well, I can tell you this: the actual initiation of it when Christ was, was baptized and the the, eight, the dove is, the, descended down and rested upon him, and, and the Most High said. This is my beloved son, and whom will please hear ye him. That was official. It was all Christ from from then on. Can I bring some edification with that? Absolutely. Uh, in Hebrews chapter nine, and hopefully this brings everything back to its proper place. When you read Hebrews chapter nine, it explains everything. But the verses that I would like to really focus and emphasize is uh, nine and fifteen, where it says, "And for this cause he is the mediator of the New Testament, which is Christ, is that new covenant, that by means of death." For the redemption of the transgressions that were under the first testament, the first covenant, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. Verse 16 is very important. For where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. For a testament is of force after men are dead. Otherwise, it is of no strength at all while the testator liveth. So now what that means is, because we're talking about the new covenant and how we keep these things through Christ, it was all ushered in. The big change was all ushered in upon his death because, here again, for where a testament is, where a contract, where an agreement is, or a covenant, if you will, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. So where the New Testament, if the New Testament is to come in, with these changes as far as how we observe the high holy days, 
for that to come in, for that to exist, there must be the death of the testator. That person was Christ. So for the new for the New Testament or the new covenant to come in and for these changes to take place, Christ had to die first. Verse 17. For a testament is a force after men are dead, not during. Because when Christ was on the earth, there was that episode in the scriptures where Christ told the man, no, go reconcile to your brother first, then offer your gift or your sacrifice to the Father. That was while Christ was living. So that new change came when he died, when he sacrificed himself on that cross. Verse 17 again, for a testament is a force after men are dead. Otherwise, it is of no strength while the testator liveth. Now verse 24, for Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands which means Christ did not enter into that tabernacle on earth while it was still there, which are figures of the true, but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God for us. As the brother talked about, Christ being that mediator, that grand, that, that the true high priest now, he didn't go into man-made hand, tabernacles made with, made with hands. No, Christ went into that true tabernacle which is the heavens itself, to make intercession between the nation of Israel and God Almighty. But those things did not happen until when Christ died on the cross. Like you read in Matthew chapter 27, verse 51, the veil to the temple, when Christ died, it ripped. So that lets us know right there, okay, that new covenant, I mean, excuse me, that old covenant in which things were done and, 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 and how sacrifices were made and the high priest going into the holiest of holies behind that veil of the temple, that's over and done with because now with the death of Jesus Christ, there is the new covenant, and he is the true high priest. And what the high priests were doing back then were only symbolic of what Christ was going to do with his death and his ascension to the Father, and that he is now that mediator between the Heavenly Father and us, as well as that mediator or the, or the one that brought in the new covenant or the new agreement established upon better promises. So it all starts with the death of Christ as far as the changes are concerned. Okay. So now with the death of Christ then, what things about these rights, these laws, these rules regarding the Feast of Tabernacles, how have those changed and were they done away with? What's different about the Feast of Tabernacles now? And why? Uh, which, which things having to deal with Christ's death, the New Testament, made what changes to the Feast of Tabernacles? And when you read Numbers, the 29th chapter, again, from verse 12 all the way to the end, it speaks specifically of all the sacrifices that had to have been made at that time period. Now, in Christ, him being the last and perfect sacrifice, we are no longer required to make those animal sacrifices anymore because, one, the Heavenly Father wasn't dealing with those. Now, in verse in Hebrews chapter 9, starting at verse 11, but Christ being come an high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of an heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifieth the purifying of the flesh, in other words, if this Levitical rite 
was supposed to sanctify and cleanse us through the purifying of the flesh, verse 14 now, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot, meaning he was sinless, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And for this cause, he is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament or the Old Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. So now all that, all that means in a nutshell is all the sacrifices, the animal sacrifices with, the, uh, with all the feasts as well as the offerings or sacrifices for sin, Christ brought that to fulfillment with his, uh, with his sacrifice on the cross, which means now we are no longer required to make those sacrifices. We are still required to keep the commandments dealing with the high holy days, but now we keep them through the spirit of Jesus Christ and not to the letter of the law, which is in Moses. Okay, so now, because I thank for bringing out, that's one aspect of the Feast of Tabernacles pertaining to the sacrifices that we don't have to keep. But are there any other aspects, the fundamental aspects, that have been changed in the, in the way that we approach those? But before we get to that answer, uh, we do have uh, a visitor, and I want to go ahead and invite this visitor into the virtual living room. And visitor, you are calling from area code 614, and we are discussing the Feast of Tabernacles. If you would, go ahead and give us your name and your comment or question. from area code 614. Okay, that visitor decided to step away from the virtual living room. So, brothers, if you would, uh, please go ahead and invite uh, us on any other aspects of the Feast of Tabernacles that, uh, you know, th- th- there's some difference in the way that it's approached now that Christ has been crucified, now that this New Testament has, has uh, become in force. Uh, I have to I have to reference again Galatians the uh, fifth chapter because it's, uh, it's 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 very important as far as how we how we approach that um, specifically chapter five and verse four Christ is no is become of no effect unto you whosoever of you are justified by the law ye are fallen from grace what that means is the death of Christ is no benefit to any man or any woman who still seeks to be justified by the law of Moses, even to the keeping of the high holy days. We must keep these high holy days, not through Moses, with all the sacrifices and through the letter, letter, letter of the law, but we must keep these high holy days through Christ in that faith. In other words, we're not keeping this through Leviticus, the 23rd chapter, with this sacrifice and this sacrifice and this sacrifice, or excuse me, Numbers the 29th chapter through this sacrifice and this sacrifice, we're keeping it through Jesus Christ because it was through his death that we were reconciled to the Father one time for all. So do we still keep the, the high holy day itself? Yes. Are we still supposed to keep it as a Sabbath day? Yes. Are we still supposed to have that joy and that fervent spirit and that enthusiasm to keep this high holy day? Yes. Do we do it through Moses? No. Who do we do it through, or who do we keep it through? Christ, faith in Jesus Christ. That. Okay. Um, so, so now, you know, say for example, I'm a person that I've not, uh, I've, I've been trying to keep the Feast of Tabernacles, mm-hmm. 
and I've been trying to do every single thing it is regarding the Feast of Tabernacles that is described in the scriptures as best I could. You know, I was didn't have the money to make it to Jerusalem. There's no temple there, and then there are no priests and Levites and so forth uh, to do sacrifices for me. So I'm I'm not trying to do that because I know that's impossible. But you know, I'm I'm confused. You know about which things that I should do and should not do, and and what is the formula? How can I look at the scriptures and make a decision for myself? You know, help me out. How can I make a decision for myself that this aspect of the Feast of Tabernacles I do and this one I don't? Because you're saying, and you brought out in the scriptures, that you still must keep the law, okay? Mm-hmm. And I think it was brought out last week that Christ didn't do away with any law. The scripture brought it out today, in fact, that Christ did not do away with any law, okay? So now if Christ didn't do away with any law, but obviously there's a change because now the sacrifices are not done, why is that? What took place to make that a change? I mean, I understand that the part about Christ's blood started a New Testament, and I can see how his blood, uh, you know, is 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 a more perfect sacrifice. It is a perfect sacrifice, so you don't have to do the sacrifices. But what about the males appearing three times a year? What about that? Well, okay. Uh, you, go ahead, brother. Go right ahead. Yeah, because the scriptures tell you that, you know, when we're – after Christ's ministry, he told us um, that that Jerusalem basically is going to be sacked, and and that uh, you know wherever you are, you're going to flee out of Jerusalem and not return back to it again. Now, what you have to understand is that Christ's word, whatever Christ said about anything and everything, is the final word about it. Period. So when Christ said to flee out of Jerusalem and don't come back, that was it. He wasn't going to be coming back to establish the, the Israelite nation. None of that was going to happen. What was going to happen? What is going to happen is when Christ returns, the angel is going to go throughout the four corners of the earth. He's going to gather up the saints. That's that's how that return is going to happen. Now we're not going to take get on. You know, Delta is not going to fly us over to Jerusalem and reestablish us in the land. Delta is not going to do that. What's going to happen is when Christ returns and he gathers the saints from all over the earth. Then we're all going to be brought to Jerusalem, and that is going to be the the homeland, the headquarters uh, of the kingdom of heaven on earth. So that that's how that's going to happen. So it tells you, you know, we understand after that 70 AD, Jerusalem was destroyed, and we had to flee out of Jerusalem. We wasn't going to be returning back. And what we was going to be doing is, like the scriptures already told us, even when Solomon built the temple in the first place, he said, listen, if our people return back to the city and repent, you know, have mercy, and the most I'm saying, wherever they are at, wherever they re- uh, uh, turn to me and repent, from that place, wherever they repent, I will I will hear their word and I will forgive their sins. From wherever they're at, not you got to come to Jerusalem keep the feast. You don't have to or try to keep the feast according to the uh, uh, time frame or Greenwich Meridian time frame of Jerusalem. Okay, well, here Jerusalem is Saturday here, and America is Saturday on this day. No, wherever you are at, that's from where you was going to return. That's where he's going to keep the Most High Commandments. That's where he's going to seek uh, the kingdom of heaven through Christ in the land where you are at. Okay. So in, in the land where you're at. So is it is it because that the temple has been removed, uh, has been destroyed, and you, there's no temple to, to appear at? Is the reason why you don't do it? Well, number one, understanding that, of course, 
all the elements that came with the new covenant. You remember, Christ, the Most High, is telling you through Christ that that temple is going to be destroyed. But the new temple, the actual temple where the Most High was going to be dwelling, is actually in us. When you go into 1 Corinthians, so we not we no longer go into the sacrifices. We are that temple. You are when you repent through Christ and receive the Spirit of the Heavenly Father. You are the temple of God. The Most High dwells in you. First uh, Corinthians, I believe, is the 16th chapter. Um, you also got that. Uh, you also got that in Acts 7:48. But First Corinthians 3:16 is pretty good as well as as, as explaining that the yeah. body is the temple of the, the Heavenly temple. Father. I'll just read it. First Corinthians chapter three, first Corinthians chapter three, verse sixteen. It says, "Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the for the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are." So now, now that through repentance in Christ, cleansing of ourselves, putting off the old man, putting on the new man being reestablished in the new covenant through Christ, we become that temple of the Heavenly Father. Just like deference and just like reverence is given to that physical temple under the old covenant, now that same gravity is given to that spiritual temple, that temple in the new, under the new covenant, which you actually are, your body actually is. Just like under the old covenant, you have to keep that temple clean and not defile it. Now under the new covenant, you being that temple, you have to keep yourself clean and not defile it either through wicked thoughts, wicked actions, whatever. It was a total cleansing, just like how that old temple we read throughout our history had to have been cleansed totally. Now you are being washed through the, through the word was Christ spoken unto us to cleanse us to be that proper temple to the Heavenly Father. So there's nowhere to travel to. You're the temple. Wherever you are, you are the temple. Keep the most high commandments wherever you find yourself. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, uh, did you have anything to add to that? I would like to add, uh, as far as the sacrifices are concerned, of course, we are no longer uh, performing animal sacrifices, but Romans chapter 12 and verse 1 gives us gives us uh, something to think about. It says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies, that temple of the Heavenly Father that the brother was reading about, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. So as far as in respect to the high holy days, no, we're not uh, we're not performing any animal sacrifices, blood sacrifices, but we are the sacrifice ourselves in that we present ourselves to Heavenly Father. I present myself to you, Lord, as I'm sacrificing myself, what I want to do, my carnal life, that which I thought I was going to do, that is over. That is dead. That is done with. The life that this 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 sacrifice I present to you is for your purpose, to live, to be an example of your son, Jesus Christ, to fulfill your will, to be your example, to teach in word and in deed your doctrine. Mm-hmm. So let me ask you a question, brothers. If, if, if Before Christ, before the New Testament went into force, if these sacrifices were not done, the animal sacrifices, would that have been a sin for a person to have not done those animal sacrifices? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Yes. So now, because of what you're bringing out about, you know, uh, wicked thoughts and, and other deeds and so forth, deeds of immorality and so forth, if you are uh, not sacrificing, uh, abstaining from those things, 
is are you suggesting that that's a sin, a wicked thought, for example? The thought of foolishness and sin. That's that's Proverbs. But let me read the scriptures so that it, it, it really is brought out. Uh, this is Titus chapter verse eleven, and this goes into how we sacrifice ourselves. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. That grace of God that bringeth salvation is Jesus Christ. Verse 12, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. So we have to abstain from all of that which we thought we were doing, which appeased our carnal lusts. We abstain from that, and we live soberly, righteously in this present world, meaning that we repent in the name of Jesus Christ, and we follow his example in righteousness, in which he did not commit any sin. That was his example. So we strive to do the same thing, but follow his example in this present world. That is the sacrifice. Also, also, to bring out another important aspect of sacrifices, understand, under the old covenant, there were physical sacrifices made, you know, meat offering, drink offering, you know, so on and so forth, bullock ram, so on and so forth. Under the new covenant, this you still must sacrifice, but the sacrifices are spiritual now. Now, when you go into Ecclesiasticus in and the Apocrypha, Ecclesiasticus chapter 35, Start at verse 1 is going to give you an idea. See how people already begin to understood this transition and what the true sacrifices was because of that spirit of Christ always being around. And when Christ came and brought it in, it solidified these things that we're about to read. Uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 35 and verse 1, these are now the sacrifices we must do. It says, he that keepeth the law bringeth offerings enough. He that taketh heed to the commandments offereth a peace offering. Verse 2, he that requireth a good turn offereth fine flour. And he that giveth alms sacrifice praise. To depart from wickedness is a thing pleasing to the Lord, and to forsake unrighteousness is a propitiation. So we understand now that these are the spiritual sacrifices happening now. You want to offer uh, um, uh, a peace offering? then keep the commandments. If you want to offer fine flour, then require a good term. Uh, if you want to sacrifice praise, then give alms to the Heavenly Father. Because these are the things, of repenting from wickedness and abstaining from wickedness, these are the things that are pleasing to the Most High, and these are your propitiation. Propitiation means atonement. These things are your atonement through Christ that you do now. Also, just to back that point up and understand that as well established under the New Covenant, Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 15, it gives you that same understanding of spiritual sacrifices nowadays. Hebrews 13 and 15. By him, therefore, meaning by Christ, by him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks unto him. So that's the sacrifices that we are offering now. Those are the sacrifices that the Most High will be well pleased with. Not bullocks, not goats, not none of that. Which required a, a good turn, keeping his commandments, abstaining from wickedness, giving praise unto the Heavenly Father. When you want to make sacrifices on any high holy days, do these things, and they will be regarded more highly than any physical sacrifice that was ever made under the old covenant. 
Okay, you you want to Is there anything that you want to bring out about the uh, uh, the aspects of uh, Christ as it pertains to the Feast of Tabernacles? Well, I think the brothers has brought up excellent um, points to show and to um, make known that Christ is that tabernacle, and he he is the one that this speaks of as of all high holy days. And um, you know, I I don't have anything else to add. Okay. All right. Well, uh, brothers, we uh, got a few more minutes to go here. Uh, so if you would, uh, just go ahead and, you know, we'll go around starting with uh, uh, Kazakh, just a summary on uh, what you want to say about the Feast of Tabernacles as it pertains to Christ. Basically, I'd like to read, the, uh, not Romans, I apologize, uh, Hebrews chapter 8, verses 1 and verse 2. It says, now of things which we have spoken, spoken, this is the sum. We have such an high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, which is Jesus Christ, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, the true tabernacle, which, which the Lord pitched in not man. So basically what that's going into is the fact that this Feast of Tabernacles that we'll be celebrating uh, very soon, and what we read and what we discussed about in the past is all symbolic of Christ, who is the true high priest, and what he, is, what he was going to do when he sacrificed himself in the true tabernacle, which is in heaven. And uh, you want to your uh, parting words? Uh, one parting word I would have is to apply, hear the words of Christ, Apply that to your lives. Examine yourself and make sure you're in that doctrine of Christ. And the Heavenly Father in Christ will give you understanding uh, in all things and time as you humble and become meek to the word of the Lord and do it. Okay. And, uh, Kabar, do you have, wanna have any final words you want to share with the audience? Exactly. Dealing with the Feast of Tabernacles, we understand that we sojourned through the, uh, the wilderness 40 years and dwelled in temporary dwellings. Those are the tabernacles. But now under Christ, understanding that this life that we live and the things that we encounter, these things are temporary and not the eternal. In Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 13, dealing with the forefathers who died in faith, it says, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them, meaning believed them, and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth, just like we are now. So let us be strangers and pilgrims, uh, understand that these things are temporary, and when Christ returns to establish the kingdom, then our true life, the spiritual life, will begin where we will receive all things through Christ. All right, well, brothers, uh, thank you so much for uh, participating in the program today and for bringing out all of the enlightening uh, and edifying, edifying points that you brought out. Uh, thanks to the audience for listening in and those who may listen to the uh, recording of the program today. Uh, thanks also. And until next time, the most high in the name of Christ bless you. Shalom. Shalom, brother. Brothers and sisters, thank you for visiting with us in the virtual living room of the Body of Christ Church. You can visit our website at thebocc.com. Or you can email us at bodyofchrist at newreach.com or call us at 
877-171-1718. Until our next visit, the Most High in the name of Christ. Bless you. Shalom. Thank <laughs> you.